Listener Production. Shares. Market. The S&P. The ISX. Stocks. This is the Motley Fool Money Mailbag. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, our very special and our very festive mailbag edition. I'm, of course, Scott Phillips from The Motley Fool, and I have with me the man who considers himself not the Tin Man, not the Lion. He is the Straw Man. Of course, he is Andrew Page. Mate, have Merry Christmas. Happy Boxing Day. If only I had a heart. Yeah, thanks, mate. <laughs> well, than, Happy Boxing Day to you. I hope you're in front of the brain, telly. I suppose. Watching the cricket or something? Oh, or, yeah. Mate, can I tell you? So here's the here's the here's the inside scoop. We're recording this early. We're recording this. In fact, we've got we've got our our, our wonderful audio producer Link is taking a couple of weeks off. And thank, honestly, you reckon you got it tough listening to this podcast. Link's actually got to go and edit it in order to make us look well sound. At least, if, guess guess how amateur this sounds. Imagine how bad it is before Link edits, edits it. Put it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're recording this super early. The cricket is starting tomorrow, mate. This is the seventh of December. We're starting it on the eighth, the first test. Can, is there, I know you're not a, as big a sports fan as I am. Not that I'm a huge sports fan. The most depressing time of the year is the few months between the end of the footy season and the beginning of the cricket season. I have been absolutely hanging for tomorrow. Now, by now yeah. we'll know the result of the first couple of tests, by the way. So hopefully, I'll, I'll put some optimism on this one and say hopefully we're up a couple of tests to nil. But uh, I can't wait. I love my cricket. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, I'm not a huge sporting fan, but there is something, it's just there's an association with that that just reminds you of Christmas and oh, holidays and there. not working and not <laughs> worrying about the markets, which is a really yes. nice thing. For those for those uh, cricket fans who are also ABC listeners, the uh, the old Jim Maxwell on the radio, is it, the, you know, out, the old man's got, I still got his old radio, um, one of those old radios at AM, doesn't have FM, has got a couple of shortwave bands or something. God, no, I think he might have even bought it in Vietnam or took it with him. Either way, it's really, really old. And I can still sit sitting next to the barbecue while the test cricket's on, sun's out, barbecue's on for some sort of social sandwich for lunch. It is just the absolute sound of summer, isn't it? It is, it is, yep, yep. Hey, yep Horribly let's... burnt sausages. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Not, not done properly unless it's black and charred. You've got to actually bite the chunks off it. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> should we get into the mailbag instead of just waxing probably, all that stuff? That's probably, probably. Uh, but yep. yeah, we do hope, dear listener, you had a great Christmas day. We hope your Boxing Day recovery is going well. Um, this one will come out, yeah, an hour into the into the uh, test, although depending on the time they're starting. Have a listen to this one during the during the lunch break and uh, and then you can get back to the cricket after that. Mate, um, heaps of mailbag. I want to say thank you to our listeners who sent in so much great mailbag uh, over the last couple of weeks. We put a call out for it. They have responded in droves. We do have, it turns out, the very, very best listeners in the world, certainly in the podcast world. So thank you to those who are listening. Thank you to those who sent some questions in. We really appreciate it. Um, and as this yeah. will be our second last mailbag for the year, uh, just an early thank you to say thanks very much for everything you've done to help us uh, hopefully put out some decent content and we've just thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. Mate, um, let's go to the first question. This is a good one from Patrick. Uh, and it's just a, it's a relatively quick one. We'll try and get through these a quick quicker than normal, mate, if we can. Uh, I say that knowing full well we won't be able to, but we'll do our level best. Uh, Patrick says, hi, Scott and Andrew. Still loving the podcast, so thanks very much. I'm a big fan, he says, of dollar cost averaging. And it makes sense, particularly as one can't time the market. And we earn money on cycles, fortnightly, monthly, etc. However, if one, say, won a million dollars, would it be better to simply put it all into a broad-based passive ETF or dollar cost average it? If it was the latter, what time period would you do this over? Thanks, Patrick. Now, mate, I'm going to assume from that Patrick has won lotto. I'm going to assume there's going to be a, a nice little commission coming our way. So, Patrick, congratulations on your lotto win. Uh, I, think it's, I think it's not unreasonable. Just kind of, you know, flick us, what, 1% or 2%, mate, for the advice. I think that's probably a reasonable a reasonable proportion. 
it's cheap compared to what the industry charges. There you go. For most so, things, Patrick, so, yeah. I'll, I, you'll be able to find our address on the Motley Fool website. I promise when the check arrives, Andrew, I will give you half. Uh, but look, <laughs> look us up on, on the Motley Fool website. Market attention to Scott and Andrew, and, uh, and we'll, we'll spend it well. Um, what do you reckon, mm. mate? Do, do you, if you, if you had a, 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 a lot of win inheritance or something else, you found yourself under the under the mattress. You kind of found a million bucks suddenly stashed there, or you know, you happen to walk past a bank and you know, happen to have a ballot. No, I'm kidding. Um, what would you do? Would you put a million dollars straight in the market today? Would you dollar cost average over an extended period of time? What would you do? So I had a bit of experience of this a uh, few years ago. Um, oh, look, you won lotto too. Bart's not winning lotto these days. Go on. No, nah, it wasn't that. Okay. It, it wasn't that much money, nowhere near it, in fact. But it was a little bit of an inheritance. And he sort of said, oh, you know, what?" this exact question. Mm. And I said at the time, I was saying, oh, God, you know, who knows? The thing could <laughs> crash tomorrow or it could double. So, you know, take – Take a quarter of it, mm. chuck it in, and then just <clears throat> just commit to allocate, you know, ten uh, percent of what's left every three months. You know, just something <clears throat> something pretty random mm, like that. Mm, you know, mm. the idea the idea being is that if if the market were, were to go down, you wouldn't have you you know you've still got a bit of dry dry powder there, and you can sort of average in and all the rest of it. So it makes a lot of sense. <clears throat> now, this is a butt coming, <laughs> but the market just went up from that point. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, so this is going to yeah. be awkward at yeah. Christmas because you're like, well, no, he's still done well because yeah, the markets yeah. have done well. But, yeah, he, but yeah. with the benefit of hindsight, yeah. what should have he done? He should have put every <laughs> single last cent into it then. Um, yeah. This is what makes it such an interesting question and such yeah. a difficult one. Yeah. I could have given, it could have been the exact same scenario, the exact same advice, except it was November 2007. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, that's right. And, and that was the worst thing you could That's do because right. it would have taken you a decade to get back just to break even. Yeah. So, it's this. It, I tend to I tend to think it was still the right advice, mm-hmm. and I still think it is probably the way I would go today because under that, so you got to look at the look at not the potential benefits but the potential mm-hmm. downsides. Yes, the potential downside of what my brother-in-law did mm-hmm. through my mm-hmm. sage advice. Mm-hmm was that he still made money. Like, you know, yes, he put a yeah, bunch okay. in yep. and it went up and then he kept on putting more in and it kept going up. He's mm-hmm. done very well as a result mm-hmm. of it. Would he, if he had done better? Yeah, he would have done better if he put it all in. Yep. Um, but you flip it around and say, what was the worst case scenario of putting it all in at once? And if the market did go down, well, that that can be very brutal. Yep. So yep. this is the this is the thing. We, we You know, perfect is the enemy of of the good, I think, mm-hmm. here. And, and I think that's the good advice. I would tend to go that way, which is to just to – instill a little bit of dollar cost averaging just just for that potential that there is a market correction slash crash around the corner, which yeah. you never know when it's when it's gonna come out. Yeah. But just I just I just I tell that story because that is the frustration of what <laughs> can happen. In fact, probably yeah. statistically yeah. more likely than not to happen, right? Where you'll look back and go, oh, I wish I'd just put mm-hmm. it all in it all all in at once. Yeah. What, what do you think? Yes, I think there are two answers to this one. There is the technically correct answer and there is the emotionally and behaviorally aware answer. And, and it's your one is the second one. So my here's the thing. You, the problem is you only get to do it once, right? But on average, yeah. over time, the earlier you put money in the market, the better off you are. Not necessarily in the short term because you can absolutely have a crash. And honestly, mate, if you put it in in February 2020, you would have had, of that million dollars, uh, Patrick, you asked about, you would have had $630,000 a month later. Now, at that point, you are firebombing my house. Uh, but the reality is that over time, A, you've made it all back, plus dividends. Um, so you're still well and truly well ahead of where that might have been. But you missed the bottom. That's always going to be the case. 
the market has never yet failed to go back to and then surpass previous highs. I think it's a phrase I've tried, tried to refine to, to really give people a sense of, you know, time in the market is far more important than than timing the market. So there, there's all that stuff and all that stuff is true. If honestly, mate, if you, I've done this for my mother-in-law, speaking of, of relatives, um, they, she, she basically wanted to invest her super, she was in cash and I put it all in the market in the space of two or three days. Because I was building a building an income portfolio for her. Bang, went in the market, job done. I have no qualms about that whatsoever. I would do it for myself exactly the same way. You give me a million dollars tomorrow, please. I will put it all in the market tomorrow and that'll be done. Not because I know what's coming next, not because I feel like it's a dramatically wonderful time to buy, but because over time, the market's likely to go up rather than down. Um, so that's that's me. Now, behaviorally, I think I've used this example before, but what I've heard is a, a version of, pick a time period, a million dollars, maybe over two years, put a quarter in every six months. And and the, the reason is your reason, Andrew, which is, mm. here's the thing. You put you put 250 grand in today. The market goes down. Guess what? You get to put the next 250 grand in at cheaper prices. So you make, mm. you're getting a chance to buy some bargains. If it goes up, well, you've already made some money. And so you feel really good about that. And you feel more confident about putting the next lot of money to work. So it depends entirely on your emotional state, but I can absolutely understand why someone would say, I wouldn't dollar cost average it in a really particularly fancy way, although maybe the pre-commitment helps just to make sure you actually go and do it. But generally speaking, you are better off going earlier rather than later, statistically speaking, uh, but you don't get a chance to get averages, right? I've said before, if you toss a coin, the average result is 50-50, but if it comes down, you only toss it once, so 100% heads or 100% tails. So you don't get mm. to benefit from the average if you only do something once. Uh, but so it depends on you. As a, as a person, as an individual, if you said to me, Scott, what would you do? I'd invest a million dollars tomorrow and not lose a second sleep even if the market crashed. I mean, it'd suck, but I don't mind. Um, I, the, 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 but what I would say is I would put money in over you know one or two years uh, because you either feel good because you get to buy a bargain or you feel good because you made some money. It just takes that emotional, behavioural pressure off you and frankly blunts any downside from what you might do or not do. Yeah, and when it doesn't work as well as it could have, it's it's still a lesser of a lesser ah. of two evils. And you're still ahead, right? Because you got, you you're either getting white cheese or ahead. you made some money. Yeah, yeah. I mean, hindsight's a horrible thing, really. Yeah, I mean, really it's just like if, we you know, know. Yeah. if it was, I just I would have I'd have a one stock portfolio, <laughs> yes, and it would yeah. be that's right. You know, Bitcoin in two thousand and seven yeah. or, or something, in two thousand and five or whatever. Yeah, 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 you, yeah, you yeah. pick 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 whatever return you want, correct, and you just correct. go for the best one. That's right. Do you think? I just just as a general question yeah. here, though, I, I really get your point with March, uh, uh, February twenty twenty, mm. but that what. I haunts me a little bit at night is that when you look back across the last 50 years or even last 100 years, yep. there are plenty of bear markets that were very long lasting. In yes. other words, yes. it, it didn't bounce back. I mean, that was the quickest bear market and recovery in history we, we mm. had with, with mm. COVID. And that was a very, that was a very different kind of um, uh, factor there for the, for the markets. It wasn't one that was sort of mm. a, a economic in the making. It was sort of health mm. health related in the making and it had an effort, economic ramifications. Yeah, that's right. But, you know, like some of the, the bear markets of, of the 70s, um, uh, for example, um, and even, even 2007, the GFC and stuff, and even the tech wreck of the mm. 2000s, mm. I mean, some of those stocks there, it took like 10 years. So I'm the longest of long-term investors, <laughs> I get it. But that's a long, 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 long time to wait. Yeah. Do you do, does that not stay your hand a little bit? Like when you say you, I just put it all in tomorrow. But yep. what if? Yep. What if that's the scenario? Again, statistically, the odds are on your side. Yes. But it's kind of like if it's if it's not, that's that is a long time to to go nowhere or to go down a lot, and yep. and then to wait just to go back to where you started from. 
So I think they're all true, mate. I think that's all true. A couple of things, I wouldn't put it all in the NASDAQ. So I think that's a, it's, a, it's a good example, but the average company did much better as long as you didn't go all in on Yahoo and Amazon and AltaVista and Ask Jeeves and all those businesses that were around at the time. Um, secondly, uh, I, I think you, you're exactly right, mate. I just think there's no... The other thing about that, that, that um, downturn during the GFC, for example, and even even, even the dot-com crash, it still took a long time to go down. If you dollar cost average into it, you still would have been underwater up for, by a long way for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's why I'm saying your behaviourally I get... But I said, I literally did that for my mother-in-law um, in three days and it wasn't a million dollars, but it was it was a decent chunk of change um, no, with no crimes whatsoever. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's... I, that's why I, that's why I separate the answer into two pieces. Because if you ask me what I would do, yeah, honestly, mate, if you gave me a million dollars tomorrow, if I had a, a long lost uncle who died and left me a million bucks, I put it in the market tomorrow. I literally would, mm. um, not because I'm reckless, not because I don't care, not because I don't wish I could have some sort of better, you know, view on the market. If I had the crystal ball, I'd take it, as you say. If you had hindsight, of course you would do it. Of course you put all in Bitcoin or Fortescue. Or I own shares of Fortescue. I should disclose, um, or you know, Microsoft in 1980. Like, of course you would. But without the benefit of hindsight, I think you need to put – and this is about probabilistic thinking, right? You need to put the odds in your favour. The odds in your favour are get the money invested as quickly as you can in quality businesses at reasonable prices. And this is the other thing. Like, you know, it's not it's not easy enough to say, well, any time, any company, any price, that's a different thing. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But, I, I, yeah, I would I would absolutely do it, mate, honestly. But mm-hmm. I'm not saying everyone should. I'm saying most people actually probably should dollar-cost average it in for exactly that reason, mate, to stop that feeling of, oh, my God, what have I done? Um you know, the, the biggest risk there is they sell out at a loss and go, that was stupid, I'm going to put it in cash now. And miss the, miss the recovery as well. We probably have not clarified things for you, Patrick, but hopefully it's a bit of food, food for thought there. If nothing else, if nothing else. Mate, let's go to one from Fred. He says, Dear Scott and Andrew, I love the podcast and I look forward to listening to you both every week. Thank you, mate. It never stops impressing me how you can both rationally explain a question or topic without the spin and with the wisdom only a father can give to their child. I think you're saying we're old, but thanks for it. In the investing, oh, here, look, how's this? In the West, investing world of advice, you are to me the little Aussie Warren Buffett and Charlie Munger. Who's who, mate? Are you, are you Warren or Charlie? Do you reckon? <laughs> I'll take either. <laughs> You'll get the bank balance, absolutely. Anyway, he says, feel free to wander off on one of your tangents to make which of you gets me Warren or Charlie. I shouldn't read that. That's funny. You know us too well, Fred. That's exactly what I just did. I was listening intently to Andrew's rant on Friday the 26th of November about be more specific than that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> about property investment. He says, stay with me, Scott. And I was positively nodding my head in agreeance. As I am one of those investors who has had property go backwards on them, and I'm happy for Andrew to use me as an example. In 2010, I was looking to diversify, uh, 2010, I was looking to diversify my investments by buying a unit as I didn't want to keep all my eggs in one basket. And it was what all the cool kids were doing. I didn't want all the usual hassles of managing a property, so I chose a DHA property, a Defence Housing Australia property, knowing my return would not be as good without the, uh, but without the worry of tenants, calling me all hours of the night to change a washer in a tap, and the rent would be guaranteed for 12 to 15 years. I picked a solidly built, newish unit in a large regional Queensland city of Townsville. The area had strong regional growth of industry and property with strategic importance to government. Fast forward seven years, and I was looking to refinance my investment loan when the bank informed me that I couldn't because the property wasn't worth as much as what I had owing. Still 11 years on, my investment is only worth three quarters of the original purchase price. You're right, Andrew. Property as an investment is not a given success story. Had I just parked my money in a broad-based low-fee ETF, I would have all the diversity I need and my situation would be remarkably different. 
and I would have slept better. I feel foolish, lowercase f, sharing this story, but no one likes to share their horror stories, just as successes. Keep educating us and full on regards, Fred. Mate, I just, I just really appreciate the, the honesty, Fred. Um, you're doing the good Lord's work, mate, by, um, by sharing some of that stuff. Because as you say, no one ever talks about the losers. They only talk about the winners. Um, it's a really, really important story. It, it counteracts, I think, the 28 properties by, you know, 26 from the plumber down the street type, type stories we see elsewhere. So, mate, good on you for sharing that. Thank you. Andrew, your thoughts? Yeah, I, yeah, I, I feel for you there, Fred. Um, I guess I, I always need to clarify this because I often complain to you, Scott, there's no nuance in this world anymore. <laughs> yeah. So I think I, my worry is that I think, you know, every now and again the friend will listen and sort of say, oh, you hate this or you love this. Like, well, this, <laughs> there's shades of grey. Property, let me put on the record, I think property is a wonderful mm. investment, mm, it, mm. absolutely phenomenal investment, you know. Um, if, if you're going to buy art or a property, <laughs> go for <laughs> property, you know. Yeah. Um, there's there's far worse investments yes, that, yes. That, that are out there. That's so true. it's it's – my worry with it is, and this is what Fred's touched on, is it's it's the the this idea that you you can never lose, this idea that you can never pay too much, this idea that it's it's a guarantee always to, goes to, up, mate. to wealth creation always goes up. That that is what's dangerous about this stuff. So, you know, it, it's it's any in any any investment is a, is making a prediction, overt prediction on the future, and and none of us can do that because the world is a very complex, difficult place and strange things happen all the time. So th- this is what this is where the rants sort of come from. It's this idea that I can let, – let's, let's, let's talk about an investment, but let's not use the word property. Let's use the word share. And let's say, uh, Scott, I'm gonna, I've got 100000 to invest, but I'm going to borrow 900000 I'm going to put it all into this share. Mm. By the way, this share is a negatively yielding share. It doesn't actually pay me a dividend. I've got to pay it money each year uh, on top of that. And uh, the PE multiple, just on the gross income that I do get, which you know gets netted off by all the costs that I have to pay, but let's go with it here, is on a, in a price earnings multiple of forty. I mean, you you would say mm. that, and and that's the only that is the only share I've got in my portfolio. One stock portfolio leveraged ten times on an eye-watering multiple that has a negative yield. Now. You would, right. yeah. right? and, I, and I say to you, mate, what do you reckon? You, you, you would, you yeah. would laugh. Yeah. You would rightly laugh me out of the room and yeah. say that is the, yeah. that is probably the most stupid investment strategy you ever do. But that, mm-hmm. but, but but so many people do that with property. So again, let me be clear: property is a great investment. It really is. But but no no asset is worth an infinite amount. Things can go wrong. You know, leverage can wipe you out. Mm, Valuation mm. matters, and 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 these are the things that that just get me so worried about this. That it, mm. It's it's just it's this idea that you know, I don't know, I don't know. I've, I've made my point, I think, but I do shake my head, and I, I do I do feel for you. And here's here's Fred Wright, mm. who's who's not even done. It's not like he's he's said, oh, I'm, I'm going to buy 26 properties right. all on equity and get. Yes, he, yes. he's bought some of these DHA properties, which you know, have a lot of value yeah. in terms of, um, as I understand it too, and sort of guaranteed rent and they take he's care try, of He's trying to take the little risk out of it, but exactly, by looking at that guarantee and saying, hey, well, at least I'm going to get the rent. I know I've got that protection. Like, I'm, you know, he's not taking the risky, you leverage it all up, take a punt on the next big thing. He's no, no he's, not, really he's doing something like, yeah. of, uh, like on, it just seems really, really, yeah. really imminently sensible. Yeah. And, and, and you know, and over over a long, long period of time, it's lost 30% of its value. I mean, yeah. it's just it's just a good, and and, and it's done that in, in a environment, economic 
environment has been very favourable yep. overall for property. Exactly. So it's just a, it's just a good reminder that things things can and do go wrong. And yep. and I feel as though some of the strategies people pursue mm. work wonderfully well when things when you do land heads when you flip the coin. Mm. But if you if you flip the coin and it lands tails, yep. it's not that it hurts a little bit. It literally wipes you out. Mm. Um, that just to me just seems like a really dangerous asymmetric kind of bet. And I'm, I'm just a bit nervous for some some people. Not all people. <laughs> I'm sure some people out there before you send in the hate mail are doing very sensible things, but but a lot just of people aren't. And that's just be careful. Just be careful. Question from Andrew. I'm going to assume it's not you. Hi, Scott. Huge fan of the Motley Fool Money podcast. It's my number one podcast to listen to. And I'm always sad when I run out of new episodes. And that, Andrew, is why... Andrew, I, I appreciate Andrew in this because, you know, um, we're doing this because we love it and we're doing this, it helps his business, hopefully helps our business, of course. Um, but we are pre-recording an absolute truckload over the the pre-Christmas season. Andrew is putting a lot of time into this. So, mate, I, I appreciate that too, mate. Thank you. And that's why we're not going to leave you short of episodes, Matt. We're going to go right through uh, Fridays and Sundays, right through the Christmas New Year period. All right, he says, I have two questions for the podcast. A little background first. I'm an American so my ignorance about specifics of Australia's economic workings fuel my first question. You know what? I love that, Andrew, because there are a whole lot of people who are Australians who don't understand either, but I feel like they can ask, mate. So thank you for, thank you for doing <laughs> yeah, the right thing. Good point. Question one, he says, I hear you guys talk about the Australian property market oh dear, and mention how increasing interest rates will jack up mortgage payments. Does Australia not have fixed mortgage interest rates? Here in the US, you can choose whether to have a fixed or variable rate when you get a mortgage. And if it's fixed, it never changes for the life of the mortgage unless you refinance. And we can answer that very clearly by saying, yes, Andrew, the vast, vast bulk of us take uh, variable loans, which by the way, I actually, on a personal level, it makes things really, really tough and variable. On a systemic level, it's great because it means the RBA doesn't have to move as much to make the impact they want because you know, your, your Federal Reserve can't do much to change the circumstances positively or negatively of the average home, I don't actually refinance, uh, average mortgage holder, but here the RBA's tools I think are more effective because they in fact impact more people. But yes, you're absolutely right. The other yes, difference is just on, just quickly on that as mm. well. I believe in Please. the states you can, if you're in a you know yeah. negative equity kind of position, you can just hand the keys back and walk away. So the bank has the bank has mm. uh, uh, the right to sort of your property as security, mm. but that that's where it ends. Can you Whereas here, <laughs> that's not the well. So so you know, let's let's say I I borrow a million dollars, I buy mm. a house, it drops in half. I can hand back the keys, but then they will pursue me to the ends of the earth to, to make <laughs> to make themselves whole again as well. I th- believe it's different in the US. Yeah, it's, uh, in some states, I believe it's actually not the same in all states, mate, for what it's worth. I, I could be wrong, by the way. Andrew will tell us, but um, I think that's right in many states. The other thing is, can you, given that circumstance, you can actually borrow for cheaper in America than here, or you had been able to until rates started going up there. I don't know. I, I, can you imagine being a bank giving like a 1.5% 30-year fixed-rate mortgage with no security? I mean, you got the security of the house, but there's no security. The, 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 you know, the borrower's not the hook. I compared to you know our banks here would would were charging routinely one percent more than that, and had both the security and the personal guarantee of the person on the hook. I I don't know. I feel I'd feel better about being an Australian bank than an American bank, but I I don't claim to know everything about US. Well, banks, you don't have so. to go back too far in history to see how the uh, American banks did. Yeah, there was, that, right. there was, <laughs> there was some some problems around that. And yeah. Another another reminder that uh, property does go down. Anyway, go on. <laughs> Question two: I'm a stock advisor member in the US. And I've watched my portfolio tumble dramatically in the last month. I've lost roughly 25% in the underlines in three weeks. The Motley Fool's taught me conviction to hold through periods like this, but the market has not shown the same staggering drop my portfolio has. Is this normal? Do you gentlemen find your portfolios, perhaps Rams more than yours, as he doubles in small caps, go through this? 
Have you seen your portfolio fall dramatically and bounce dramatically too? I pick mostly full recommendations and watching all my gains for this year vanish in three weeks is tough to stomach. Thank you so much for your insight. Wishing you all the best, Andrew. Thank you, Andrew. That's very kind. Mate, uh, given his name dropped you, um, do you five times when your portfolio drops more than the market? And how do you how do you kind of oh, deal with that? All the that? time. <laughs> all the time. Yeah, I, just looking at uh, my straw man profile now, I'm down 11% over the last three months. Right. So I've definitely done worse than the market there. Um, so, yeah, yeah, it, it, it happens. Um I, how do I deal with it? I, mm. I kind of, I just try and keep my eye on the companies themselves rather than yeah, the prices. Right. You know, I, I kind of ask, it sucks. I mean, it just, it's so easy for, and people do, oh, I don't really care because, well, I, you know, I, I'll be lying if I said it, I don't care. It sucks. I don't, I don't yeah. enjoy it. Yeah. But, but at the same time, I just, I try to as objectively, objectively as I can say what's changed. Um, is it the price that's changed and nothing else? In which case I'm more happy to mm. just sort of, not happy, I'm less annoyed yeah. yes, <laughs> about yes, it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. But the other thing is, but then sometimes you think, well, actually something has happened. Yeah. And that's that's the tricky part. Um, maybe the market is, is mm. right. So I console myself in the fact that, yes, that is that is the price of long-term outperformance is higher volatility in my in my view. That's that's the tick. That's that's the tax, so to speak, that, that you pay. Yeah. Um, and and my my solution to that is to not watch the price, but watch the business. And if nothing's changed, then I'm I'm happy to hold. And if something has changed, hopefully I'm I'm de-anchored <laughs> enough to to <laughs> yeah. to to realize that and make the the yeah. change that is necessary. Yeah, I I agree, Andrew. I I owned a decent chunk of retail and travel going into the COVID crash of March 2020. Uh, so, mate, trust me, I I absolutely feel your pain. Um, my portfolio fell much more than the market at that point. Has come back. Um, me, a couple of a couple of quick things. First is I it's worth being mindful that the crashes always happen faster than recoveries. And so if you think about the emotional- Up the stairs and down the elevator, right? So they say, right? Uh, mm-hmm. More more cliches. that They're cliches because they're true. It tends to happen, right? So do we see dramatic bounces? No, normally not, right? That's normally not the way things happen because fear hits instantly. Confidence builds over time. And that's okay. Uh, but you need to know that's the reality of the market. So that that's important. To Ram's point, you're absolutely right. Uh, he's absolutely right. It's It's- Here's the problem, right? When, when shares go up by 25% in three weeks, if they did, you'd feel reassured that you made the right decision. Uh, and when they go down 25%, we feel like, oh, maybe we made the wrong decision. Neither of those things is true because you are measuring the market sentiment, not the value of the businesses. And that's that's Ram's broader point, right? And this is going to be hard to hear and harder to do until you have enough practice of it. And some people never get it. Some people get it really straight away. Um, you just got to try and wean yourself off caring. And, and I don't mean caring as in like, you don't, you know, don't, don't care. To use the example of before, if you had a million dollars going into the COVID crash, you had 630000 at the bottom. Um, I'm not saying don't care about losing $370,000. You could have bought yourself a Bentley or something with that and had change. Um, you know, I'm not saying don't, don't care that it's, you've fallen, but you've got to be able to separate out the, the, the question of the market sentiment and movements from the underlying value, which is exactly Andrew's point. It's hard to do, right? So it, it, it's, the theory is always easy. I love my favorite Yogi Berra quote, Andrew, is in theory, uh, there's no difference between theory and practice, but in practice, there is, uh, which, I think, which I think is great. It's just, it's just beautiful. It. It's a beautiful line. Um, it's hard to do. It's really, really hard to do. And I get why it's tough to summit you all year. Like you, 2021, 11 months old, you're up. Three weeks later, oops, 
There goes my entire year's worth of gains. And some years, by the way, you're going to be absolutely negative. You're going to have started the year at X and finished X minus something. It's like, I've wasted an entire year. My money went nowhere. Um, I hope this podcast has helped you. We've, we've repeated it regularly. This is, that's just, that is life. That is just investing 101, right? And we can't make it go away. It's not going to feel any better. It's going to happen again. You have to believe in the long term. The best way to do that, to Andrew's point, is have conviction in the companies you own. Um, the other thing, by the way, is if, if, would you buy them today? That, that's what, that's, you know, and, and ask yourself now moving forward, if my portfolio fell another 25%, would I feel good about owning, owning these companies? So I feel like they're good value. And try and separate those out because realistically, if you like the company and they're on sale at 25% off, that's a good thing, right? That's a great thing. If you if you have money to spend or, or to invest and you like the companies every bit as much as you did, if someone had said, hey, company X is doing really well. Um, I know I sold you some shares yesterday for three weeks ago for a dollar. Uh, do you want some more for 75 cents? <laughs> yeah, absolutely, I do. You know, if you got the chance to buy your local cafe or your your own income, if I was like, I'll, I'll, I'll buy your income stream or I'll sell you your income stream, would you, would you buy it for 25% less? Yeah. You know, less employable just because the market's paying less for your job. So just try and keep those kind of metaphors in your mind. Uh, but you've got to wean yourself off caring about the share price. I know it's hard to do. It's one of those things. I, that's why I really try. I, I try not to take victory laps when I have good results. A, because uh, <laughs> I don't want to jinx myself. B, B, pride comes before a fall. But C, when you start to celebrate the wins, you're, you're choosing to emotionally invest yourself in the outcome. Once you do that, you can't be surprised when the downside hurts you a lot too. If you, if you can put them all aside and go, you know what, I'm going to retire in hopefully 30 years. At that point, that'll then my portfolio value will matter. In the meantime, it's, it's just a wiggly line on a page. It doesn't matter because I'm not taking money out. So why would I care? Now, again, I know, I know why I would care because losing money is losing money. But you've got to try desperately if you can to take that approach. Can I, can I again talk about nice. property? Oh, yeah. Um, we haven't done that yet, so let's do that. <laughs> in, a, in a favorable way, though, I think one of the great things you about can't property do investing is that you actually don't know the value of your The only time yeah. you know the value of your house is when you buy it and mm-hmm. when you sell it because that's the only time it's so tested true. in the market. Yep. You, might have a, you might have a gauge because of what the neighbor's house sold for or yep. what domain is published for your area yes. or something like that, but they don't tend to be very good guides. And yep. so you don't. Imagine and the 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 mm-hmm. analogy that I forget who first said it, but the analogy is: imagine if you held an auction at your house for your house oh. every weekend, <laughs> right? every day. Shares are traded every- for six hours a day, quoted every second, six right. hours a day, five days a week. Imagine that. Yeah. I mean, the, the, you, people say, oh, property's not volatile. Well, it's mm. not, but that's a function of liquidity, and so yeah. I, I so visibility. It, it's it's just not it's just not there. So all you see as a property investor is yep. whether, whether the rent is coming in or yep. not. Which yep. Generally speaking, is pretty pretty reliable. So it seems like it's this really safe investment. But you hold an auction every day, mm-hmm. you're going to find that that value swings 20 percent on a, in a week. It just yeah. it just it just will. Mm. Um, so here's another here's another um, trick that I can use to sort of prove that. Bring mm. up a, a chart. Um, you know, and go to Yahoo Finance. I don't need anything fancy, just something free, and 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 look at the all ordinaries or mm. the S and P five hundred. Choose your major market index, and and you'll see this very very wiggly line. Now ch- now it'll usually default to like the last year or yeah. sometimes even the last day. Go hit yeah. max, so so you you zoom right out over a couple of decades, and it's still pretty wiggly. It's sort of uh, up and to the right, but still very wiggly. Mm. And then you can also, with most of these charting tools, is you can choose how often you plot the data. And if you plot it uh, monthly or yearly, mm. the volatility disappears. Yeah, that's right. It just becomes this very straight line. It's a, it's a so mi- the, mild, mild movements around a long-term growth story. Yeah, yeah, and 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 so you, it's it's kind of yeah, 
it, it, it's a, it's liquidity is a great thing in the fact that I can press a button and get in and get out instantly. You can't yeah. do that with property and, and most other assets. It's, it's really, really wonderful. And I can only sell, I can sell 10% if I yeah. don't have to, like, I can't just sell my bathroom on my house. Yeah, right? like I, right. It's all or nothing. <laughs> so so liquidity, yeah. Yeah. liquidity is wonderful, but yeah. the, the price of liquidity mm. is volatility. Mm-hmm. And, and um, yeah, you, you just have to see it that, that as a cost, but as, as a cost that, that, that you're, you're, you're paying for a wonderful benefit. Let's go to a question from Matthew. Good answer, mate. Hi there, fools. He says, I'm a relatively new listener, extreme opportunity subscriber, and a very new investor. I love listening to your weekly podcast while driving with my 16-year-old L Plater son. I wish you told us your son's name, Matthew, but g'day, Matthew, and g'day, Matthew's son. While compiling the necessary driving hours, it generates a lot of interesting conversation between us. That's awesome. I'm really pleased. Um, My question, during this AGM season, there seems to be a trend of share prices dropping significantly immediately after the completion of an AGM, or at least on my holdings and others I've observed in the press. He mentions Kogan, Drink, Westpac, CBA, Oracobra, to name a few. I'm sure there are exceptions to this, but I don't know of any. Have you noticed this trend this year? Is there a broad economic reason behind it? Full on and keep up the good work. And that's from Matthew. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I think it happens pretty often. Um, hmm. So at AGMs, um, very, it's not uncommon for, for the company to offer an updated outlook, hmm. for example. Yes. And if that is if that is at a if that is different to what the market was previously expecting, hmm. it, it, it will. And it doesn't always. It's not always to the downside. Sometimes hmm. it's. It's it's to the upside, mm. um, but that's that's what's happening here. The market has a on mass on there's a whole bunch of different opinions, but on average there's sort of a consensus sort of view, and then the people who run the business say actually things are going better than we thought, or mm. actually the next year we expect to be challenging because of X, Y, and Z, and the market the market re- adjusts to, right. to that new information, right, which right. is why you often see a big move around that time. Same as for when you see generally big moves around um, earnings results mm. and and these kinds of things. Mm. Mm. So it's it's not you, you're right to notice it um it's it's maybe it's happened more this year in sense of the degree of movement yeah. because of some of these valuations are kind of up there and it's sort of like it doesn't take much of a change for <laughs> for the market to get a little bit nervous yeah. um but it's it's normal and and it happens and that's and that's the reason why it happens i i do think personally there has been more volatility after earnings recently than i remember i think the last couple of earnings seasons seem to have been worse maybe it's rose-colored glasses but I don't remember this sort of volatility four or five years ago or ten years ago. Um, so maybe I'm just maybe I'm just making it up as you say. Also, it's COVID, right? So just the COVID uncertainty for most of these businesses, like, hey, who knows what's coming next? Mm-hmm. Um, who knows what the trading updates look like? And particularly for those trading updates where they've actually given the first eight, 12, 16 weeks of the year, where it's like, so retail hasn't been great because we're cycling on last year's boom. Um, I honestly, so here's the other thing, by the way, don't forget, Matthew. Um, a lot of investors aren't. Uh, <laughs> It's because they aren't that bright. That's very unkind. Um, aren't necessarily paying a lot of attention, right? So if you on, like I've, we've said multiple times in this podcast, and I'll take Kogan as an example. Drink. Um, I expect sales to be down. They're actually they were up for the first four months or three months of the year, uh, financial year. I thought they would be down because the last year was so good. It should have been. And OfficeWorks was down. JB Hi-Fi was down. You kind of expect that because. They had such a, you know, you're not going to, the, the TVs and gaming systems and couches and whatever we bought last year, we didn't throw them all out 12 months later and buy new ones. So the COVID spike, you should expect it. And that's why a lot of companies are reporting on versus F19 numbers because they kind of say, well, take out the COVID spike. How are we going overall? I think it's actually a more sensible sensible way to approach mm. it. So, mm. um, I, you know, I, I expected, I don't know why market didn't quite honestly. Some of those, none of that looks were terrible, by the way. Um, it's like, what did you guys think was going to happen? Um, I, th- I will say for things like Westpac and CBA, they were genuinely ordinary earnings. And that's the other thing. And the outlooks weren't any better. Mm. 
Um, so I think there's a, there's a bit of that as well where they're just like, hey, this is, you know, things aren't getting better. We've got a mountain to climb. Um, CBS results were awful. Westpac results were pretty ordinary. Um, you should have expected them. We, we expected them. We kind of on the podcast have said that a lot. Um, I think hope springs eternal, right? And I think some investors are like, oh my God, really? Uh, and, you know, we're not always going to get it right. We're not always going to be able to forecast particularly well or predict particularly well. In this case, we kind of thought we knew the answer. And I think we kind of got proven roughly right, yeah? Yeah. Yep. Mate, uh, one from Lauren, female listener. High five, Lauren. Thank you. Um, <laughs> you love this too, mate. Lauren Lauren is a very smart and very fun lady. Hi, Discord and Andrew. Thanks for the Aussie accents each week from the other side of the planet. A mailbag question. When can I count paper gains? We are long-term investors aiming to fund our own retirement with no government pension. We track our net worth of shares, property, and superannuation. But given volatility and my conservative nature, I have trouble with what amount I should really record. I've considered counting dividends in full as they are received, but discounting the value of my shares and super a bit to account for volatility or take a rolling average over some period instead of wherever it happens to be on a particular day. This is the funny bit. At the risk of setting off elevated equestrian expressions, to which I think she means the high horse rant, which I love, Lauren. That is just brilliant. That is the new name of my new rants. Elevated equestrian expectations. I love that. She says, would you do the same with property? Oh, God. (laughs) I.e. consider rent as more solid but discounted estimated capital gain on an investment or your house by some percentage. Personally, when or how much of your paper gains do you consider real enough to be banked, in quotes? Thanks, Lauren. Lauren, brilliant, brilliant, brilliant. Love it. Thank you very much for the elevated question expressions. Uh, we're going to try and avoid that one. But, mate, good question, right? Like, you've got, mm. I don't know, pick a number. Uh, let's say they're getting closer to retirement. Let's say half a million dollars of net assets. They say, great, we've got all this money. And you say, well, depending off the market drops, maybe that half million becomes 300,000 like it did during the COVID crash. How, how do you kind of pick a number and say, that's how much I'm worth or that's how much I should consider that I, that I can count on? Wow, that's a great question. Isn't it really good? I just, I'm having to, to think here. I, it's it, On one hand, I want to say, well, it's always exactly right because yeah. if you sell today, yeah. you can't go down to the supermarket and buy your groceries with some of your shares. I mean, you need to, <laughs> you need to sell it, right, if ever you're going to spend it. Yeah. So it's worth exactly what your, your statement mm-hmm. says at any mm-hmm. point in time. And that's, that, but the way to think about it is, well, that's what it's mm-hmm. worth if I need to sell it right now. Yeah. What's it really worth? <laughs> well, that's a question of how right the market is versus how right you are. And there's a few stocks I'm holding at the moment, which I would argue the market's got really, really wrong. Mm. And I think it's mm. worth a lot more. <laughs> now, I might be kidding myself <laughs> with that. But it's it's actually, it, it depends very much on how you frame the question. I, I'm very tempted to sort of say it's actually the amount that it can be, whatever it says is exactly what it's what it's worth if you needed the cash today. Mm, but mm. If, it, if it's more about what you think its intrinsic value is, mm, its mm. true fair value is, that's a slightly different question. So I'm not really answering it here. Um, you have a go and I'll, I'll continue to you ponder. You It's an yeah, outstanding, excellent no, question. I, I did throw it at you first. Great question. Um, I am in, as I get closer to retirement myself, and hopefully it's a long time away, but as I start to think about that next leg of my journey, um, Ray Dalio is having three stages of life. Hopefully I'm still well and truly in the second stage, but uh, at some point, at some point I get closer to retirement. Um, I, to your point, I'm thinking more about the value of the assets in terms of cash flow. So you say, Lauren, that you're going to hope you're, you're planning to uh, retire, fund your own retirement without the pension. I assume that's a combination of dividends and asset sales. And so for me, I'm kind of like, you know, if I think about, all right, well, the average, and this is Australian, obviously, the average Australian dividend is about 4%. Now, it's not going to be for the, the, the fast growers or the non-dividend payers in my portfolio. Other companies are more, but let's just go with that. 
I think, okay, well, how much money would I need to have? So if I had a million dollars, I'd have 4%. Okay, that's 40 grand a year worth of income. And so I kind of do that a little bit. And what it, what it probably does is separates the asset price from the earning potential, income potential. We know that the share price should only ever be the full value of the, of the company's um, future cash flows anyway. So it should, to some degree, capture that. Um, so I kind of I kind of try to think about it that way. I think okay, how about if I got an assets? If I if I was to sell them tomorrow and put them into income producing shares to fund the next stage of my retirement, what would that look like? Now, if if they're lower, you can sell them for less and you get less income, of course. But I think your idea of using dividends as a, as a starting point is a really really good one. Um, and then maybe just think about you know rather think about the dollar value of the portfolio, think about your retirement needs. So what are you looking for in retirement income wise? Um, what has has to happen? And rather think about the current value. I'm thinking okay, well. By the time I retire in X year's time, if I can compound it at the market average rate from this point of that, that's a more useful number. So if I had, I'm going to pick up some numbers here, Ramp, if I had half a million dollars and I had 15 years to retirement, I say, okay, well, 10% a year average, I should be able to double my money every seven years, add a couple. So by the time I'm 65, 67, the half million should have gone to a million, then $2 million, great. At 4%, that's 80 grand a year. Okay, that's about what I want. Now, if it goes down in the meantime to 300,000 and back up or vice versa, it goes up and then back down or whatever whatever journey it takes, I look at the market long-term averages and use that to kind of just speculate on what I might retire with and how likely that is to pay a reasonable dividend. Now, there's franking credits if you're an Australian taxpayer and stuff, you can add to that as well. But just as a, as a, as a starting point, I kind, I kind of take today's price and rather think about how much I have now, I just kind of say, okay, let's assume the market's averages 10-ish percent, call it nine, call it eight, call it 12, whatever you want to call it. Um, but be conservative rather than aggressive and just kind of forecast it forward and go, okay, well, I might have around that much by retirement and that would be enough to deliver me a decent income. It'll be higher and lower between now and then, uh, but trying to, try to focus on how much you have now and just do those rough maths. Now, if you're two years from retirement, that's a different question, right? You need to think about how you want to manage your cash flows in retirement. But assuming you're further enough away for at least one more double, um, so seven to nine years between now and then, that's how I'd think about it. Mm. Does that help you at all? Am I right? Am I wrong? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I, mean, I'm, I'm, I love the way you say, am I right or wrong? Yeah, I think you are. I'm trying, it's how you interpret the question. So when yep. or how much of your paper gains do you consider real enough to be banked? Yep. And I think to me, it comes back to that. I, I mean, this is what we're always doing with as investors. Yep. We're, yep. we're buying stuff because we feel as though it's actually worth more than the market is, is selling it to us Correct. for. So I feel as though if it's, too good, mm-hmm. it's, it's always going to be an individual uh, yes. uh, uh, appraisal depending yep. on the, an individual company. So there is some stocks that you might look at, you, you bought because you thought they were cheap, they mm-hmm. went up 10x and you still love the business, but you think, oh man, that's that's just not reasonable anymore. Mm-hmm. And that is, to use the phrase that Lawrence used, that's maybe the point at which you do say bank. I'm going to bank that because <laughs> now the market's offering me $2 for something that's only worth one. Um, yeah. Except you're investing that cash, right? She's not talking about going to cash. She's saying just how can I know it's not going to go down any further? How, what's the minimum I think I can count on that yeah. those shares are worth? So it's kind of a valuation. You're going to sell them by something else, aren't you? So that's the, that's yeah. the hard part. Yeah. So it kind of, and this, I guess, where I was sort of having to mm. ponder it. I, I guess it's it's really a question about valuations. What's mm. the real value versus the value that it, that I can I can actually realize? And that's that really for, that really frames the decision as to what what mm. you do, mm. quote unquote, bank or not. Mm. Mm. Um, and and why we always hammer on about the importance of valuation, <laughs> yeah. I think. So, yeah. so yeah, I think so. So how much of your paper games do you consider real? I, I, I consider it real if the market has given me a price that I think is sensible relative to the future cash flows of the business as, you, as, you've, as, you've, as you've so eloquently outlined. And if it's divergent too much from that, then I think it's probably not real. Now, mm. always with the, with the consideration that I could well be wrong yep. <laughs> um, and often are, <laughs> um, but, but that's, that's, that's the framework that I think you need to think through. 
Yeah. What a great question. Oh, yeah, it is a great question. Lauren, last, last thought. If you want an absolute number, take 60% of what you have in your portfolio. If Because this is a challenge, right? Ram's talking about the full value, which is true. You're worried, I think, Lauren, if the market is still full 30%. Now, Ram would say at that point, well, great, it's 30% cheaper than it should be. I still think it's worth even more. So now the value gap is bigger. I'm still banking in his head the full value of that. That's different to the price of it, right? As, as Ram That's says, true. you only have to liquidate it for the then current price. So if you're, if you're concerned, Lauren, is like, you know, how, what, what's the least this can be worth so I have really like super conservative expectations, take, take a third off. Like just arbitrarily, if you want a number, if you feel if you feel better about it, take a third off and say that's about as you know. Market always fall by half, can always fall further. Uh, but if you want a number and said, okay, well, what is it going to be? Roughly, the answer roughly would be in my mind, make it take a third off and call that your number. Yeah, that's, uh, a, good, that's a good way. Of as, as Ram and I said, yeah. over the long term, not only do I think it sh- you should not take anything off, you should add something to it. If you're saying, well, how much will I have by retirement, which is what I'd be how I'd be framing the question, uh, rather than how much what's the minimum I can have if I cash it all out now, um, I'd be saying, you know what, the future is bright. I think I'll be gaining roughly the market average from now until retirement. How many years do I have? Great. Well, I should be able to double or triple or quadruple my money. Um, so I would I would be banking the full amount and more if you wanted to think about at retirement. Uh, but I take your point. You want to be able to say, you know what? If the market falls, here's at least what we'll have in, in absolute, you know, kind of redeemable, redeemable shares. That might be the answer I'd use. Motley Fool Money. For more, subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. Hey, mate, a question from Tom. Hi, Scott and Andrew, he says. Recently found the Motley Fool Money podcast. Thank you, Tom. And I've recently thoroughly enjoyed listening multiple times a week and growing as a young investor. Tom, you are my least favourite listener, mate, because you have something I can never have back, which is time. I say that every time. Uh, But if you're a reasonably new listener, you don't know that. So I'm going to bag you rather than the other people I normally bag and say, I hate you, I hate you, I hate you. Uh, But you have an amazing opportunity, mate. So thank you for listening. A question for the pod. As a 23-year-old saving for a house, what percentage of my money would you suggest having in the market and in cash? Currently, I've got approximately half my money in the market and half in cash. I'm wondering if I should invest all my money except for a 10K emergency fund as it will be at least four to five years till I have enough for a deposit. My money in the bank will not be working as hard for me as it would in the market compounding away. Would it be wise to draw down my savings, leave, say, 10K for any any emergency and invest diversely in the market to get better returns to go towards my house deposit or potentially a managed fund could be the way to go with someone like Vanguard? Interested in your thoughts and appreciate your time. Thanks from Tom. Ram, I'm going to start by saying, mate, the first thing we should say with every question, or at least at least once an episode, is we can't give you personal advice, Tom. So when you say, what should, what do you suggest I should do? Nothing. We can't make that suggestion. We can, of course, opine generally on how to think about maybe that mm. kind of question. So um, really, really clear for everybody who ever asks a question or anyone who listens, anything we say here is just our thoughts. You need to consider how they um, how they apply to your circumstances, your risk tolerance profile, you know, emotional state, all that kind of good stuff rolls into this. Cash flow, future cash flow, likely bills to pay, all that stuff. Um, with any answer we give to any question, please always consider your own circumstances. That being said, I'll go first to Ram just because I've thrown you the ball a couple of times and I'll give you a chance to have a think. Go for it. Tom, I've, I, here's, my, here's my general view. If you've got five years, and you say four to five years, which I really like. So if someone has... A, a, an unfixed, a variable time frame, then I would put the money in the market. If you have the option of waiting, say, six to seven years, if in 2025, just to pick the four-year mark, or maybe, well, it's almost 2022, let's go 2027. Um, if at that point, the market falls 30%, if you have the option to not cash out, 
because you're not you're not locked in either lifestyle wise or you made some sort of commitment. If you have, we just talked about a forty percent fall. Let's say you save hundred grand, you got hundred grand in shares in five years time, and the market falls forty percent the day before you plan to buy your house. It's now worth sixty, right? If if you if you feel like you're locked in, you have to cash out the sixty and you're forty in the hole and you're cursing ass and whatever whatever then don't put anything in the market. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, because if the market falls before you, just the day before you need to make a deal or the week or the month and you can't wait out the recovery, then you've done yourself a massive disservice by being in the market. If the reverse applies, if you're saying, you know what, about four or five years, maybe six or seven if circumstances don't work out, um, if there's a crash at the wrong time, well, that's going to suck, but I'm okay, I can wait it out, then I personally would put more money in the market. In fact, I would put, uh, to Tom's suggestion, all my money in the market with a bit of emergency fund aside, which is a great idea, mate. Love the emergency fund idea. Really, really important for everybody. Um, as long as that's enough, by the way, you might need 20 or 30, depending on what your your short-term uh, needs might be to pay bills or rent or whatever. But yeah, if you have the opportunity, and I, if I had an unlimited time frame and I could invest for as long as I wanted before buying the house, I'd absolutely put it in the market. The, the, the ability or the opportunity to get maybe 7, 8, 9, 10% in the market versus zero in cash compounded for four, five, six, seven years is too good an opportunity to pass up in my view. What say you? I say exactly the same. I, I, the, only, the only thing I would say is I, I would never, if I if I have a major mm. expense in the next couple yep. of years, yep, yep, yep. I would never put it in the market, no matter how bullish mm-hmm. I was. Mm-hmm. But just, it's, uh, mm-hmm. again, and, and you, you, you made the point, well, if, if there's no flexibility around that, like I've, I've got something I'm committed to doing in a yep. couple of years, it's just, it's not worth the risk. Yes, mm-hmm. again, it's mm-hmm. like the very first question we had on this episode. You know, you might, hindsight will be, will tell you exactly what you could have and should have done, <laughs> um, but you won't know. Um, mm-hmm. But it's just, it's too, it, it, it happens too frequently where you can invest in the share market for all the right reasons and just happen to have poor timing. Mm-hmm. Just yes, bad exactly, luck. Exactly, yeah. And you put it all in, bad luck, yeah. it drops 30% and it's just like, uh, now, in, as you rightly say, if you've got flexibility on your mm-hmm. side, mm-hmm. it's not as big a deal because you can you can just, well, okay, I was hoping to buy a property in, in 2026. Now it might be 2028 20, uh, <laughs> instead, <laughs> but I can I can do that. But if, yeah. if, if, if you don't have that flexibility, then it's kind of like, that's, that's when that, becomes not just a paper loss, it becomes a very real loss. Yeah, so, right. yeah, yeah. The, the share market is a long-term game and there's, there's no point putting any money there, no matter what the reasons, if, if, if you, if, and, I, and I would say one or two years is very short-term, so don't, don't do it. And again, you, you, someone might listen to that and go, okay, I won't, and then the market goes up 400% in the next two years and goes, bloody hell, why yeah, did yeah. you tell me to yeah, do that? You know? yeah. Well, just, you know, it's just it's just how it is. I, I wish Agreed. we knew with exact certainty how, what the future would, was was going to hold, but we don't. So, mm. agreed, agreed. I um yes, I think that's right. Let's go to a question, which is going to a really great, challenging question to finish off with from Frank, another Frank. Hi, Scott and Ram. Firstly, thank you for the valuable insight you provide in your podcast. I'm 52 and lucky enough to have created financial freedom over the years through building a business and predominantly investing in property both as a small developer and a long-term investor. Sorry, Ram. Over the no years- apologies. <laughs> Don't apologize. Well done. That's Over the awesome. years, I have doubled in the share market, but I've only been investing seriously for the last couple of years with good success, like most people right now. Frank, firstly, I love the fact you've recognized this has been a very, very good time to be an investor. Um, so easy for people who have entered the market recently to go, oh my God, I am a genius. How easy is this? Um, love the fact you recognize you're in a, you're in a very, very attractive market time, uh, which is great. And we're all very happy about it, but you're right. I wonder if I could pose a discussion point or question for the podcast. You can. I understand you are both very careful with your advice and comments around borrowing. Yes, we are. And using margin loans. Is this caution based just on your correct assumption 
that most people don't have stomach for the dips, so they panic and sell at the worst time. I'll say a, a, a temporary yes, a transitory yes before I read the rest of your question. Part of my strategy, he says, is to use leverage to buy index funds. I own a number, but by way of example, one I own is the Vanguard Australian ASX 300 ETF. My margin facility allows me an LVR of 75% and it has a 10% buffer for a margin call. So essentially allows an LVR of 85%. My strategy is to borrow an LVR of 50%. So borrow half the money and uh, invest my own half. Effectively, this doubles my return. If the market moves on average 10%-ish a year, I'm making 20% each year, less some interest. So around 17 to 18% per year. That's a double every four years or so. If you are, uh, or if you're retired, 12 or 13% income and leave a bit in to have your capital keep up with inflation. Not bad at all and pretty low risk. To get a margin call, it would need to take a 35-ish percent market drop. Unlikely, but possible, says Frank. All I have to do is not panic, have some cash on the side if the next crash is a doozy, and be patient and let the market do its thing over time. Am I missing something? I'm reasonably invested in this strategy now and will continue to add to the position. But right now, unless I'm missing something, I think when the next inevitable correction comes, I'm going to back up the truck. Keep up the great work, gents. Hope uh, you are helping many people, myself included. Cheers, Frank. Thanks, Frank. That's really kind of you, mate. I appreciate it. And love the, the thoughtful question. Love the, the proposal you've put forward. Um, Ram, I, actually, I'm gonna, one thing I'm going to say just up front because mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know if you'll grab it or not. If, you was, if it's a genuine margin loan, you're probably not getting in my mind unless you with a very, very good lender. Uh, he says, you know, 20% less interest, so 17 to 18% per annum. That was just your margin loan is somewhere between 2 and 3% per annum. I don't know if a margin loan of less than 6, Ram. I, I may be missing it. So no, they're Frank up, may they're, be dead right. Yeah. Um, but let's – so the, the first thing I would, just would probably add, um, Frank, again, unless you have some access to some margin loan I don't know about, uh, and you may, that, that's fine. Most people taking out a margin loan, which is a loan linked to, specifically to your share account with those shares as – as uh, collateral, uh, you will probably only be getting 13 to 14, I'll say four, just call it average 14. You'll be getting 14% per year after interest, not the 20%. So I just want to throw that out there. You have to take the full 6% off that. Um, now, it doesn't necessarily invalidate your question, but for those listening um, and for yourself, again, unless you've got a particularly great margin line, in which case, please let us know who you're borrowing from. Um, it's probably 14% and, and we'll start with that. So Ram, what do you recommend? Is he, the logic kind of almost stacks up, doesn't it? It, it stacks up. Really well, yeah. Um, I, I reached the same conclusion years ago. It, it's mathematically, logically, it works extremely well. And I think I've said it before. I used to work in uh, for a very short stint yeah. in margin lending years ago. And the people who you had to call up were the people. People think, oh, I can borrow seventy five percent, so I will borrow seventy five percent. And Frank's gone. Well, I can <laughs> maybe up to eighty five percent with the buffer. Mm. Um, but it doesn't mean I have to. I could only choose to borrow 20, 30%. And he's done the maths. And the maths say says that if for you to get a margin call, that is for the lender to say, actually, we need you to sell some of your shares to pay back some of the, the loan, yeah. it, it's it's actually a very substantial fall. Yeah. So so by by capping it at 50%, it's a 35% fall. So it's a it's a question. And then Frank's gone even another step forward, which I uh, further, which I think is really smart, is basically say, well, even if that happens. I don't. I can. I can reduce my loan by some of this cash that I've got on the side, mm. um, which which puts you in a very safe position. So you can argue the toss as to what's comfortable for you. Yep. Maybe maybe you, you you'll say, oh, I still find that risky enough because markets do drop thirty five percent. It's like, okay, we'll borrow forty percent. Mm. You're still mm. getting a big benefit with leverage, 
And so it also, it, it's perfectly sound, Frank. It's, it's perfectly sound. I'm going to beat Scott to the punch here. And <laughs> oh, come on. It, Take all my fun. But, 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 but the thing you have to be careful of is, is that um, <laughs> it, it, what people intend to do and what they actually do sometimes can be two very different things. I, I'm, I'm usually a bit more sanguine than you, mate. I, I, you I don't, I, you know, I think it's hard. To, I've got to be careful how I phrase it because it sounds like, oh, you know, well, I'm smart enough to do it, but you people aren't. So ninety percent of us are above average it. drivers, Ram. You know that. You know, so it's. I, I don't think. I think. <laughs> I don't think yep. that's yes. the right way. But yes. I think, and, and Frank seems as though he's he's thought it through. Yep. He's covered all his bases. I'm going to say that Frank. Frank's. I'm not. Gonna, I'm not going to fault him too much for, for what he's doing because oh, um, he's very overtly aware of, of, of the downside. But but you elaborate. You elaborate on that point. Um. Warren Buffett, who we need to quote every episode, contractually, not really, but we like to, um, <laughs> says that leverage is the only way a smart guy can go broke. Now, I think in these enlightened times, you would say smart person, but in any case, um, you get the idea. So to your point, Ram, uh, here's, the, here's the problem, right? It's like, it's like picking stocks. On average, the average, the average person shouldn't try and pick stocks because everyone's going to get the market average and you'll lose a bit in fees. So why just buy an ETF and be done with it, right? The answer on the flip side is, well, because some of us think we can pick stocks, if we can do it well, then we'll beat the average and someone else will lose to the average, but at least we'll be on the right side of history. Now, again, at a, at a total national level, if everyone picks stocks, then everyone will get the average. <laughs> so, And everyone does. That's, that's what's happening, right? So it's, it's a really, really difficult kind of problem to have when it comes to thinking through um, you know what? What's the what does the average person do? What are, what do all of us? What should all of us do? What should one individual person do? Buffett can pick stocks. Uh, my mother-in-law probably shouldn't, and somewhere in between that, my mother-in-law's stupid. She doesn't know anything about, about shares, right? So it'd be silly for her to try and pick stocks. It'd be it'd be a dartboard competition, which she might win. She might win, uh, but yeah, it wouldn't be a good idea because she doesn't have that background or that experience, and and everyone else is somewhere in between. Not that she's the very worst of it, by the way. There's the, 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 the traders who probably should live alone too. Um, and so this is the challenge, right? Whenever we give advice like this is in the right circumstances, by the right person with the right protections, it could work. But when you become the person, I won't say you, Frank, I mean you, the, the, the uh, disembodied you, uh, when someone out there says, this is working really well, I probably don't need that cash buffer because I'm pretty good at it now. And I could probably borrow a little bit more because I, I think I'm pretty, it's, it's the Vanguard Australian, how could they possibly fall further? And, 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 right? Now, let's say we have a Great Depression and let's say shares fall 80%. That, you're gone. You can't have enough cash on the sidelines. And if you did, you might as well have invested it because the average return you're going to get is going to be more than that, right? By the time you carry enough, by the time you have enough cash on the sidelines to meet a Great Depression-sized fall, uh, to, to make sure you're not getting a margin call, that amount of money invested probably beats the returns you're getting by using leverage. So it, it's, and the, the problem with debt is it's the edge cases that matter, right? So the one in 100 year cyclone, you have to build a house to assume that you get the, the 100-year cyclone is going to come because when it does come, you don't want to destroy the house. And so you're over-investing, you overbuild. And could I get away with for 25 years living in a house that was you know, not exactly cyclone-proof? Maybe, <laughs> if it's the right 25 years. So I really, what, it, what, what worries me is that it's, it's like pandemics, right? How many, how many quarantine stations did we have when the pandemic hit? Zero. How many did we have 50 years ago? A lot. What was the difference? We kind of went, ah, oh, probably, probably won't need them. And so on and so forth, right? And I think the pandemic is a really, really good example of if you'd have bet against a pandemic, you would have been right for the last 99 years and then wrong that year, wrong spectacularly. And depending on what odds you had, you probably would have wiped out your own bet. Because you would have been given you would be given a lot of money. You would say, oh, I'm getting, you know, I'm getting a thousand to one on this thing. I can take people's money every single year. No pandemic, thanks my dollar. No pandemic, thanks my dollar. Oh, pandemic. 
Um, okay, here's all the money. Oh, bugger, I'm now, I was now a losing bet, right? I was the bookie. I bet a 1,000 to 1 because it was never going to happen until it did. And so that's just – I, I, I am absolutely trying to scare people a little bit <laughs> because – you know, if or when we have a Great Depression-sized market crash, which could happen because it's happened before, or one that's down fifty percent rather than thirty-five or thirty, um, I just want I want people to be ready for it. You know, because here's the thing: if you made ten percent without debt, or fourteen percent, which is the twenty percent less the six with debt, the extra four percentage points, what's that really, really worth in terms of the upside if you're right, and the downside if you're wrong? It's an asymmetric bet, right? In, in the worst case scenario, you go stone motherless broke. In the best case, you earn 10%. I'm okay with that. You know what I mean? I just, I think, I think they're asymmetric. I don't think it's a risk worth taking, particularly if you're older, Frank, I'm not old at 52, but older, you don't have enough time to start again from zero. Uh, and you've done a whole lot of work to get to this point of where you're at. I don't know how much you've got and how much you need, but I would say, look, how much do you really need? Um, Warren Buffett talks about risks being taken. Uh, you know, they, they risked what they had and needed for what they didn't have and didn't need. And in my personal view, once you're at a certain level of wealth or, or security, risking that for a little bit more starts to become, uh, uh, you know, the risk simply isn't worth taking because of the impacts. The upside, maybe go a little bit more, maybe buy a, a Porsche rather than a, um, I don't know, what do you, what do people buy this? What, what's the cool car you buy for half the price? Uh, you know, a, a C-class Mercedes, I don't know. Uh, maybe I can, maybe I can go to Switzerland twice a year rather than once. That's all fine, but I'd rather go to Switzerland once than, than have nothing. I'd rather drive a Mercedes C-Class than have to, you know, uh, drive an Uber to, to make ends meet. So that, that's my that's my take. That's why I'm I, I'm nervous about it. I just don't think you need to take the risk. And if nothing happens, if the risk doesn't come to pass, then eh, you gave up some gains. If it does come to pass, you've lost everything, gone to zero. I, I think that's too big a risk to take, in my view. Why? I, I, I totally hear what you're saying. But, but again, I know, <laughs> I, know, I know I'm like a dog with a bone on no, this. I just think I think it's a, a really interesting point. Go for it. Yeah. I bet you if someone wrote a, into us saying, hey, Scott and Andrew, um, I've saved up a 30% deposit for a house. Yep. And I'm going to buy it. Yep. Um, d- doesn't your argument still render the same kind of outcome? Like if there's a Great Depression, you lose no, your job. You know, oh, yeah, totally. That goes, yeah. But, but you never take, yeah, that's absolutely true. But there's a difference because the the home is shelter, not just an investment. Yeah, but you're still you're still borrowing a lot, and you and so it's this idea of leverage is the only way you can go broke. You, yes. You're still and and most people are like you know only putting ten or lucky if they're putting twenty percent down. A lot so of yeah, people so that, putting five percent down. So I just again I'm not but I'm not actually trying to call a loan, loan right. That's the difference. So if you lose your job at five down twenty percent thirty percent fifty percent down, you're still gone. If you don't work for six months, the bank's going to take your house, no matter how much you put down, because you simply mm. can't meet the repayments unless you've got six plus months of savings stored up, right? So you, you, you know the, the bank only calls in the loan, and they're not going to call the loan if the property value falls. If, if my house is worth, I buy a house for a million that's worth eight hundred thousand. All of a sudden, the bank's not going to call it in if no for only if for no other reason they're going to destroy themselves by doing so, right? So the only the only issue for me is if I don't if I can't pay the rent the mortgage because I'm out of work, but that that's going to be a case no matter how much I borrow. I mean, how much I have to pay back because I'm never going to have enough saved up to pay for a year's worth of repayments or two years worth of repayments or three years worth of repayments um, if I'm out of work for that period of time. There's always risk, absolutely. But you can't save up for a house to move into. You, it's, it's, just, it's almost impossible. Right? You've got to pay the rent or the mortgage, so you might as well do one or the other. You don't have to risk though that kind of surplus cash, that investment cash, that security cash for a little bit more. Why not just be happy with 10% rather than bust a gut and take a risk for 14? It's just, it's a no-brainer for me, mate. If you gave me a... Nothing's guaranteed, right? So I want to be careful with my language. But if you gave me a market average 10% over X years' time, 
versus 14 with the risk that there's a 1 in 100 chance of me going broke, I wouldn't take it. I would not touch it. Couldn't make me do it. Mm. It's like chess, right? I, I pay more in brokerage to have a chess-sponsored account because I don't want to run the risk that Comsec goes broke. Is it going to go broke? Probably not. But if I have another broker and they go broke and I lose my shares versus paying $2 a trade rather than nothing, it's just an easy decision. <laughs> and it's okay that, it's okay that you disagree by that that's great you disagree I have no problem yeah. with that whatsoever absolutely no yeah. problem with that and if you want to do it that's fine I, here's the thing mate if you, had a, if you had 4 million dollars in the bank today and I said mate you can invest it in the market for 10 or you've got a 1 in 50 chance you lose it all and you get 14 would you really take the 1 in 50 no, chance I no I wouldn't no I wouldn't no I wouldn't but if I'm that's just that's kind of my point right? That, that's, that's where I, that's where I there's, there's, some, there's somewhere between no risk and, and something for me, the extra return isn't worth the extra leverage. But for some people, it might be if they're prepared for the possibility that in the worst case scenario, it does go to close enough to zero. Well, this is what you, you said before. It's hard to give advice. Well, it's possible to give mm. advice without knowing a person's situation. And we, but and we can't. So maybe, and, and we can't. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, you know, maybe that's not Frank. And if that, you know, yes, if, if, Frank, if Frank has, you know, much less than that. And yes. again, I, I feel as though, for me, the, 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 the more of the problem with these examples tends mm. to be the structure of the Tell loan vehicle. Cool. Yep. So I think what what is a better and now he, he mentions in his question that he's got a bit of property and that I think mm-hmm. one of the one of the things to consider because I can't give advice yep. would be to borrow against the the house. Oh, I, that's uh, a whole different question for me. I'm talking about margin call, margin loans specifically, not borrowing in general. Okay, so I'm 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 more from the I'm more from the the idea of borrowing to invest in the market. I don't see it as the, I, again, it just seems like on property, oh, it's completely sensible, yep. but on shares, it's completely crazy. That's what I, I don't get. Yeah, margin margin loans tend to have much higher interest and they're much more punitive and there's other other kinds of And they things, can call but, the asset, mate. That's the one for me, right? No one calls an investment loan if the LVR goes up too much. Right. But right. the margin loans are predicated on exactly precisely that, where they every day will say, do I have to take your, your shares off you yet? Yes, the bank yep, will never yep. ever do that on an LVR basis. I can't yeah, I've got a lot. I've got a lot of sympathy for that. Yeah, I to- totally. But but what I'm saying is, if if you've got some a uh, bunch of equity in some property, oh, yeah. and you can draw down against that, and then use that borrowed money to buy shares mm-hmm. again with all the usual buffers and considerations in place, I actually I actually think it's an, a, a perfectly sensible idea. Um, yep. As long as as long as you don't stretch yourself too far, but that, that goes for anything, right? So, mm. I, I, I don't think yeah. we're a million miles away. By we're the not. way, in and, fact, and yeah. let me go further to your case, mate. If I was offered tomorrow a structured product from a bank that had no margin call and a two percent or three percent interest rate, I would borrow a million dollars tomorrow. Yeah, without and, and, a doubt. And, to, and yeah. to the last question, I would invest it all tomorrow, regardless. If there was zero margin call, in other words, and margin call for everyone who's wondering, who doesn't know the lingo, sorry, should, we should have defined our terms. Um, you've, we've kind of alluded to it, we haven't been very, very clear. In a house, you borrow money based on uh, portions. You might be able to borrow 80% of the property value. So you million dollar house, you borrow 800 grand, right? That's kind of the way it works. Um, and and the same is true with shares. The LVR, the loan valuation ratio that we were asked, Frank asked about, is exactly the same thing. The difference is with property, if the price falls, the bank never comes knocking. But with the shares, the, the broker and the lender are every day looking at the value. And when you drop below that threshold, they will either make you stump up cash or sell your shares. It's a, it's a very different mechanism. Yeah, you've got 24 enti- hours too, the, generally. The bank's entitled speaking. to do the same thing, by the way. They just never do and they never would because it would create a property crash that they don't want to be responsible for. So there are there are reasons why they don't want to do it and wouldn't do it. Mm. Uh, but with shares, they absolutely, they will do it heartless, completely. I don't mean, mean heartless and cruelly. They just don't care. Like, they, I don't care what you what you say, what you want. Well, I'll take your money, we'll take your shares, but we're going to do it in 24 hours, as you say, Ram. And so that's important, right? Now, but if I if I could borrow, if I could if I could take my entire future investment 
cash, right? Whatever I'm saving per month and investing. If you said to me, I'll give you your lifetime's worth of that today and you'll pay 2 or 3% for it, I would do it in a heartbeat. Mm. And I invest all my cash today and I don't care. And if the market fell by half or 80%, I don't care because I think it's going to come back over time. It'll be higher eventually and I'm doing it for retirement. So I'm looking 20 plus years out and saying, you know what? That'll do me. I'll take that. Um, mm. I'll take that risk in any day of the week. If there's no margin call risk, I'm there with you. Absolutely. Mm. Mm. Um, now, there is the only caveat I would say for those people specifically who were um, who were thinking about it as a, uh, you know, and your point about knowing yourself and what Frank's experience has been, that the only thing that, the only thing I would say to people is if you're going to do that, I would make the bank also lock you out of selling for that same twenty year period, <laughs> because you know the risk of selling when the market's down because you just get cold feet and crystallizing a loss. Borrow a million dollars, sell it when the market's down twenty percent. Take out eight hundred grand, you still owe them two hundred grand. You've got no shares left anymore, or you've got no shares invested. That's the worst of both worlds. And so that's the other thing that we need to be mindful of. Is to about the you know nine percent of us say we're better than average drivers. Um, just be really, really, really careful. Um, you need to really know yourself. In fact, I wouldn't say, I would say, here's my, here's my, I'm going to make it a golden rule. If you've been investing for less than 10 years, never, ever use debt. Because if you haven't been through a market cycle, if you haven't learned to deal with it, and by the way, if you did it, and if you have been investing 10 years and you sold at any point because you are freaked out because the market fell, start the clock again and wait for 10 years until you can go through those cycles and go, that sucks, but I stayed the course and I know I will. You shouldn't do it because you don't, you can't know how you'll react until you're there. Hmm. How's that? Decent golden rule? Yeah. Yeah. That's pretty good. <laughs> oh, jeez. But it's boxy. It's the Christmas, a festive season. You're giving me a maybe. You give me a, yeah. <laughs> Mate, I don't like, know. I just, I, yeah. Look, I, I, I feel as though it, it, it depends very much on the person. You have to be very honest with yourself. I think Frank's, just come back to the example. He's, he's looked at it. He's very much considered the downside. He's acted very conservatively. You know, it's, it's just a little bit, Almost a, not we're not trying to be, but just to sort of say, well, you know, others can do it, but not you, Frank, because you you don't, you don't have the wherewithal to to stick through it and do it, you know. So mm. I'm, I guess I I'm and I know you're not I know you're not saying that, but it can come across like that. It's, it's sort yeah, of like yeah, yeah. you sort of say most people shouldn't stock pick, but I stock pick. Oh, well, why do you I'll do it? That's, if it's that's exactly well, what I'm that's saying. Be, that's exactly what yeah. I'm saying. At, a, at, a, at an average level, there's an average and there's an individual, and we are. That's exactly my point of raising that was mm. we're, we're absolutely talking about both sides of our mouths. You know, people shouldn't pick stocks. The nation shouldn't pick stocks because they will get the average return less the cost. So just ETF. Yeah. But individuals may be able to, and that's exactly that's exactly the um the, the quandary, right? That that's exactly the oxymoron of the whole thing. Of like, you know, some people will go broke using debt. Some people will make money using debt. The average, I don't know, but you you want to be careful, right? Yeah, I think that's I think that's it. I think it's it's be be very honest with yourself because you're the easiest person to fool. Um, be very overtly aware of the downside and what can go wrong. We all tend mm. to look at what can go right. That's what mm. motivates mm. us. But but, yes. look, but 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 look at that. Yeah. Um. And and have have some kind of plan that you know mm. that you can you can kind of stick to. So I'm 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 more I'm more um I I guess I'm more mm. uh, understanding of of people if if they kind of frame it correctly and they mm. they 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 they're not the kind kind of person going in saying, oh, I can do this, this, and it's always going to be great and I'm going to back up the truck and it's always going to be – I mean, that's – it's very different to to some of the, the subtlety and context that that all of our all of our listeners are sort of putting into the I think mm. I, I give them a lot a lot of credit in thinking that they've they've actually thought this through and mm. I don't have a problem with it. I mean I, I think you're right to sort of point out these things, but mm. but to to I don't, I just don't want to I just don't want the misunderstanding to be there to sort of for us for people to think that oh well you shouldn't <laughs> maybe they should mm. and maybe they'll be far better at it than 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 a lot of people in the industry. 
it just mm. depends on on them being honest with themselves and mm. and knowing themselves and and yeah, if you can, then great. I want to finish the podcast, mate. I, I'm going to add one thing, which is very few of us have a really honest, accurate opinion of ourselves. Mm. So, but that's true of you too, though. Totally, right? that's what I'm saying. That's exactly what I'm saying. Yeah. And so those those behavioural pre-commitments to stop us accidentally over. Estonia our own abilities is, are really important. And that's exactly, mm. like, honestly, you know, like to my point about the, you know, the, the million dollars worth of debt and whatever thing, like there are there are times you say, you know what, go for it, knock yourself out, go and take the debt, go and take on 40%, 50%. I think I would be someone who could possibly do exactly what Frank's saying, mm. but I haven't because, you know, I, 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 for me, it's not a risk worth taking. It's genuinely not a risk worth taking. Not because I think I'm, I think, you know, do I think I could? Yeah, we all do. That's almost, that's almost exactly the point, right? It's that mm. humility of like, Am I probably one of those people, even objectively, even if I was objective as I could possibly be, I think I've been investing long enough, I'm good at this enough, I've been through enough of the, the ringers to go, oh, I think I'm okay, I think I'd be okay. Am I doing it? No, because I don't, I don't think the risk is worth the potential, the, is, is worth the potential upside in the return and, and the downside risk I'm taking. So like it's, I think, I think all I, I want to say is, you're right, we're not saying Frank can't do it or couldn't do it and Frank can absolutely make his own calls. But again, without without wanting to bag Frank, um, poor Frank. Um, again, it's the no percent of us think we're above average drivers thing. If if that were if we were so good at estimating our own abilities, then fifty one percent of us think we're above average drivers. The fact that we don't is exactly the problem, right? Forty percent of those people who think they are smart enough to realise they're about they're above average drivers, or the other fifty percent are wrong, is exactly we, we kind of it's it's almost it's almost it's almost you know um, what's what I'm looking for. It's always provable by that that very stat alone, which I know is it's not a It's actually real, but it's it's one we use all the time. But that very the very reality of every single psychological bias study ever done, and the overconfidence and the, the stuff that we bring to the table that's that's kind of what keeps me humble. Right? It's like, do I think I am or can or do? Yes. Am I also aware that I'm probably fooling myself? Absolutely. And that's exactly why I try and calm my jets because we all think the same. If you ask, every, you know, nine out of ten people say, "Where well, are my average drivers?" So four of them are wrong. Which four? Or the other four, because not me. That you know what I mean. Like it's we never mm. ever go. Or some some of the okay. The ten percent said we're below average drivers. Congratulations, guys, you were right. And by the way, some of those are probably wrong anyway. But the, so those ten percent congratulations of being at least a little bit self aware. The other ninety percent, half of whom weren't self aware enough to realise, and who might otherwise be investing and maybe using margin loans. That's that's kind of the example I want to I want to draw and mm. to kind of make that point of you know yes we think Frank's smart enough. Yes, you think you're smart enough. Yes, I think I'm smart enough. By the way, get another five or six of us. A couple of them are going to be wrong almost by definition. And that's mm. that's almost the point, right? Is it me? No, it's the other guy. It's always the other guy. Mm. Um, I, don't, I don't know, mate. I just think sometimes saving ourselves from ourselves is is a is a, a journey worth taking. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, look, I don't, I don't, I actually don't disagree. And you're right, we've got to end this thing. But, we do, um, eventually. I guess, I guess for me, it's more about sort of saying, well, look, there's, <laughs> there, there, in this in this particular example, there's some very clear thinking that's yes. gone into oh, it. Oh, absolutely, agree. And I, I think it's, I've got a lot of sympathy for it. It's, yep. it's, it's just, yeah, you're right. It's, it's got to, totally. it's always worth pointing out the downside and considering that yep. and being self-aware enough to, to, <laughs> to, to know that, that all these, these traps behave. But then, yep. then it's kind of, I'm, I'm sort of like, well, then you do what you do, what you need to do for you. Yes. Just go, just go in with eyes wide open. And yes. I think that's, that's, that's probably where I sit. I think that's a great way to finish, mate, because we are way over time. We are. I thought we, yeah. we had about we had about I thought oh we'd take about five minutes and fifteen minutes later we're still going. Uh, Phil, thank you for sharing your boxing day with us, or maybe sometime after that, maybe it's some hopefully beach listening or car listening or something else. Uh, while you're there and while you're uh, well, logging on social media, follow Andrew 
at Sage underscore Simeon or at Strawman Invest. They're both on Twitter. Follow me at TMF Scott P on Twitter or Insta. Scott Phillips Money on Facebook or The Motley Fool's account at The Motley Fool AU on Twitter and Insta and The Motley Fool Australia on the book. As they cool kids call it. Still no TikTok account. Won't be my 2022 resolution. Although, you never know. No, you don't. You don't know what's to me on TikTok. Fools, we'll see you for our very last episode of 2021 on Friday. Until then, full on. Cheers. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash listener. The Motley Fool operates under financial services licence 400691. Listener.